You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is Allie Larkin. Allie is the international best-selling author of uh, novels such as Stay and the most recent book, uh, Why Can't I Be You? And Allie will be here to talk to us today a little bit about the most recently released book, movie projects, and things going on around her writing, and just her writing styles in general. So we're going to be uh, having a lot of fun today picking Allie's brain, so it should be exciting. So everybody hang tight. We're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And joining me now is author Allie Larkin. Allie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so good to talk with you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. Big kudos on all the continued success. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So now tell us a little bit about the most recent book, Why Can't I Be You? Uh, Why Can't I Be You? It's about a woman who gets dumped at the airport. She's on her way to a business trip, and her boyfriend breaks up with her and drives off with all her luggage still in the trunk of his car. And she gets to the hotel where her business conference is supposed to take place and is mistaken for a long-lost classmate who everyone is hoping will attend a high school reunion that's taking place at the same hotel. And since she's had a really terrible day, she just goes with it. And I don't want to give too much away about the book, but there is an angle about dogs, like dogs who, um, like guiding eye dogs and things like that, service dogs. And that's been, that was a lot of fun to research. Very good. Very good. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit about your research here in a minute because it definitely takes a lot more than just a creative idea, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) Yeah. So now, how did you come about writing this book? Was this an epiphany that woke you up in the middle of the night or had you uh, done some research or had some personal history around something like this? Um, I've never pretended to be someone to go to a high school reunion, so it's, it's not based on anything real. My editor for Stay, my first book, actually had this, she had an idea after listening to an episode of This American Life about bands that no one had ever heard of, but everybody pretended that it was their favorite band. And she really liked the idea of something like that happening and the person coming out the other side actually being what they'd been pretending to be. And I'm not really very interested in writing magical realism. I think there's some people who do it really well, but I'm actually very interested in writing the real story behind it. And what I loved from that little spark of an idea was, what if that happened and the person just pretended? It was like, what if that happened and, and it, you know the person turned into something else? What if they were just pretending to be someone else? And what kind of 
themes about identity and universal experience does that open up? And so I kind of started spinning that, and I was fascinated with that. And eventually the idea just sort of took shape. And then there were characters along with that idea. And, and then I really had to start thinking about not only why would a person pretend to be someone else, but what had happened in their past that would turn them into someone who had the ability to pick up on those little social cues and tell people what they wanted to hear and what had made her the person who could do that. And continue to do that and keep it up and be convincing. And then it really started to get interesting. And then I got a little bit into it and said, what am I doing? I can't pull this off. (laughs) And decided to give up writing completely for like a whole weekend. And then on Friday, I had a new idea and I went right back to it. (laughs) On Sunday night. I think it was Sunday night. Yeah. (laughs) The sign of a true writer, you just walk away and give up. And then a day or two later, you come back and it's all good again. Exactly. You throw up your hands and make grand proclamations, and then you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Part of the process. Part of the process. Exactly. And I think the twist of having the uh, you know the high school reunion, uh, you know, as we approach high school reunions, a lot of times I think people wish they were someone else, or perhaps they pretend to be more than what they are. Uh, I don't know if too many people yeah. that tend to be less than what they are, but it seems to be, especially in your early early high school reunions. Wouldn't you agree? I, yes, I actually have not been to a high school reunion yet, which made it really strange to write this book because I, I missed my tenure. I couldn't go. So I'm waiting for my 20 year, which is sooner than I'd like it to be. But it's interesting. I think, I think in some ways, Facebook is like a giant high school reunion all the time, too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of drew from that feeling a little bit. But yeah, it is interesting that I think the face that we put forward versus what, what's really happening. And it, it was interesting to play with that a little bit. And it was interesting to kind of think about how much we actually have in common as people, too. You know, if we're the same age and we grew up listening to the same music, most likely, even if we lived in different ends of the country, you know, and that's kind of exciting. Yes, There's a lot is. of universals in the human experience and especially generationally. And that's great. Nice. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that. It's that common bond, that common theme. Music definitely is one of those that uh, we never get tired of. And I think the only thing that, that makes it bad is when a someone that's substantially younger than you tells you that they were listening to the oldies station and come to find out it was you know, <laughs> in your era. <laughs> then you know you yes. got a problem. <laughs> yes, I have a, a black friend who teaches and said somebody referred to REM as old people music. Oh. And I, and it, died a little inside. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, no, that's, that's not okay. <laughs> REM is exciting. They change things. It's a different that's right. sound. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate in my age group that the old rockers uh, that I grew up with are still kicking around, even though they all are on uh, Geritol and you should be on walkers <laughs> by now, but they're all kicking, so they're going. It's good. So I'm not as old as I think I am. Now, tell me a little bit about the title. I mean, how do you come up with a title like this? Was this an original title of yours, or did you and your editors have to banter around some ideas? We went back and forth on the title. It's At one point, it was like, I'm not Jesse Morgan was my working title, and that's a terrible title. I don't usually title space until I'm close to the end of everything. But I had a playlist. I always make playlists when I'm working on books that have songs that kind of stir up different things for me. And I put a lot of songs and bands that I listened to in high school. So one of the songs was Why Can't I Be You? And when we were kind of playing around, my editor and I were talking about song titles, I had a couple of 
songs that I had thought about, and then I and we had a couple of titles in general that we were going back and forth on, and I just put "Why Can't I Be You" out there. And as I sent it, I was like, "Oh, I hope she likes this one. I think it's right." And she wrote back, "That's it." So, so that's the title, and I'm really happy about it. I think it fits the book perfectly, and I think the song fits perfectly, and the song had already been written into the book, so. It was kind of cool to make that the title. There you go. There you go. I love how those things come about, and uh, even the concepts and the ideas around the book stay the same, but what you start off with as a writer, wouldn't you say, doesn't necessarily turn into what you end up with. You know, the outline may be there, but yeah. And it's such a surprise. And this book, like when I said that I quit writing it, it was because I just couldn't see past the idea of like oh, this concept, and it's kind of this fluffy idea. Like, I couldn't ground it. I couldn't find a place to ground it. And then all of a sudden, I had this idea of Jenny and Robbie smoking Robbie's last two cigarettes. And I wrote, like, this whole scene about the two of them, and that was just like, okay, here's the heart of the book. This is what it's about. It's about it's about friendship, and it's about the ways that friends support each other like a family and what my main character was lacking for not having had that and what she wanted so desperately. And then it was like, oh my gosh, I can't not write this book. This is a story I have to tell. But before I got there, it was just a story about mistaken identity. You know, it was almost a Freaky Friday kind of thing. <laughs> and then it turned into something that surprised me a little bit and made it interesting and made it fun to write. And happy that that happened. So that's kind of the, that's what makes writing fun. That's the magic of it. Yeah, getting into those characters and developing things you had never thought of before that just sort of enter your consciousness and uh, you decide to write about it and it just takes off. Yes. Yeah, and then you yeah. throw a puppy dog or a kitty cat in there, and it just makes it twice as good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything's better with a German Shepherd. There you go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, uh, but then we'll come back and continue our conversation with Allie Larkin. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student, and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the tales of the city. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. We're here talking to Allie Larkin about her 
most recent book, Why Can't I Be You? So, uh, Allie, tell me a little bit about just writing this book in general. Uh, did you find this more challenging than writing previous books? And especially with your uh, huge success with your book, Stay, did it make this book a little more challenging or did you put a little bit more pressure on yourself or did it just flow nicely? It was a lot more pressure. When I wrote Stay, it was kind of like eight pages a week with my writing group and I didn't know if anyone was ever going to read it. And I really had to work very hard to kind of put myself back in that mindset of like, it's this is for me. This is my story. This is about the characters. Because this time around, I sold it on an outline in, in the first three chapters. And then once I signed the contract, I had six months to finish the book as opposed to like the five or some odd years that it took me to write Stay on and off. So it was a lot of pressure. I didn't leave my house very much. <laughs> it's not necessarily the um, most physically healthy time in my life. Because I, but in that way, because I had to, I dove so completely into the story and these characters just occupy such a huge part of my heart because they consumed me. You know, that was where my brain was. I didn't kind of break out of thinking about it ever. You know, it was always there. And I'm thankful for that. I, I think that I need to fight for balance in my life and <laughs> leave my house more than once a week to go to the grocery store. But I do appreciate that process. It, it kind of made it, in ways that I didn't have a lot of time, I didn't have a lot of time to be afraid. I didn't have a lot of time to get stuck in my head and worry too much about what everyone else was going to think. I just had to focus. And there was something kind of great about that. And for my second book, I'm very thankful that that was the reality for me because otherwise I think it would have been very easy to just push things further and further off because cause it's scary. It's scary to put yourself out there and it's even scarier to put yourself out there once you know what that actually means. Yeah, well, definitely it's also so. great. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting, but it is, it's a huge challenge. And, uh, you know, I was comparing just what you said, six months. And most of the work that I do is in nonfiction. And six months is a lot of time if it's a subject that I've yeah. already talked about or I work with on a regular basis. But even then, I think that the pressure is still there in one facet because if it's something you're too familiar with, you tend to just throw it out there and not realize that other people may not be grasping or may not really understand all the intricate details that are going behind. It. And yeah. so with a novel, it's, you've got those same same little factors that come into play, but also you've got the fact that you've got to build a whole story and characters from ground up and uh, get it done in six months. It's a lot of pressure. It was, yeah, yeah. It's also, it's nice at the end of it to know you can do it. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is good. That's right. And that way, when you sell your next one, they give you a whole four months to get it done. So you're good to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm taking my time on the next one. There you go. Yeah. By the time you get to your fifth and sixth one, you tell them when you're going to get it to them. That's the way it works. <laughs> That's the beauty of it all. <laughs> so when you're writing in general, uh, when you're thinking about putting together, say, your next project or the one after that, do you keep some sort of a journal or log with all these brilliant ideas and brilliant concepts and outlines around it? Do you come up with maybe just a title book or do you just sort of the first one that really catches your heart you go with it i have a couple you know like i'll outline things that i might have ideas for and then it really sometimes i have a lot of time spent on outlines and something else just completely catches my heart like you said and and that's the thing i i always want to be writing the book that i need to write you know the one that i can't not write the one that just takes over my brain even when i try to stop it i think that's where that's what's going to hold my interest. It's really hard to sit down and, and give up everything else to be there with your computer. You know, I mean, and I'm not trying to sound like a martyr or anything. I, I absolutely love what I do, but 
I like having a story that drives me enough that I don't feel like it's a hard choice to make. When it's sunny outside and I want to do something else or I want to just sit and watch TV or, you know, any of those things, it's an easy choice if those characters are tugging away and demanding my attention and that that makes it easier. Right. Otherwise, you're beating yourself up if uh, you're not writing on a particular day or not getting an X number of pages that you had targeted on a particular day. Yeah, because I think as a writer, when you you can tell me how you work, I know you mentioned your first book. You sort of worked with a writing group, and you did your eight pages uh, a week, etc. Do you find yourself that some days you're lucky to get one page out, and the next day you've got twenty before you know it? Yeah, absolutely. And I I've changed. You know, I've gone through different cycles of what works for me. You know, at one point it was like I work on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you know. Just random, you know, I don't answer my phone on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I don't turn the internet on, that kind of thing. And and that worked for a while, and that was great. And then right now what I'm doing is I work for two hours every day, and I don't even have to actually write anything. I just have to deal with my material for two hours. If I'm sketching pictures of what the room looks like or... I'm, you know, just reading what I've already written, and that's fine. But what I've found is that once I set my time on my phone two hours, I actually have a lot more to say than I thought I did, which is really nice. But that's just what's working for me now. And six months from now, that might not be what works. And I think it's really important as a writer to figure out what's working for you and commit to it a little bit and also commit to letting it change when it stops working if it stops working. Because... We all have our own things, you know, everybody has their own system that's going to work and that's part of your job as a writer is to figure that out. And, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, I write a thousand words before I do anything else and that's great. But you know what, if I had to write a thousand words before I did anything else, I would never get anything done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And it all depends on what motivates you and you have to kind of be true to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's very true. I think it's very true. You know, I've talked to authors that say, well, I get up at 5.30 and from 6 to 8 is my time. I get my cup of coffee and I'm writing because from 8 on is life. You know, the other things that happen in life, whether it's a, another job or children or walking the dogs or, or what, you know, or watching your favorite shows, you know, that you've DVR'd the night before, whatever it may be, that, that takes on its persona. But that may work for that writer, but not someone else. Exactly. And, and I think it goes even further now, you know, the old saying of you have to write every day. doesn't matter what you write or how much you write, you got to write every day. Would you say that's a true view of it or is it more of you have to sort of put your hands on your material or at least give some thought to your material during that one day? I don't even think so. I have taken breaks from writing that have been fantastic for me. You know, sometimes you do just need to take a break so that you want to sit down again. You know, I don't trust writing rules. Anyone who says you have to do this or you're not a real writer or you have to do that, you're not a real writer. You're a real writer if you start a project and commit to finishing it. That makes you a real writer. And if that takes you 15 years, fine. If you write every day, that's fantastic. If you write twice a month, that's wonderful. You know, I think you have to figure out what your goals are and you have to figure out a way to meet them. But there's no grand proclamation about writing that actually would hope true to everyone. It doesn't work that way. And I worry when people say things like that because I I have at other points in my life thought, oh, I would love to write, but I can't. Or, oh, I would love to write, but I'm not this or I'm not that. And, and it kept me from doing 
the thing that I'm best at for a very long time. So, you know what? You're a writer if you start something and you finish it. <laughs> I think that, that's probably the best. I rule. think that's it. Yeah, I think that's a good rule to go by because it's just, uh, you know, it is what you set your sights on, what works for you. And as long as you're putting something down in writing, it anything in writing doesn't necessarily even have to be a book. You know, it could be anything that you're yeah. doing. I, I think that makes you a writer. I had a talk with a uh, speaking gig with a middle school a while back and uh, talking to them about writing and how to go about doing it. And first question I asked was, who out there are writers? And I had, you know, like two or three of the kids sitting in the front row that were writers and nobody else raised their hands because they assumed they didn't Aww. write anything. But as I peeled back that onion a little bit more, they all write for schoolwork. They all write for blogs. They all write for their Facebook, whatever it may be. They're all writing something. They're giving their thoughts and opinions on something. And that, to me, makes you a writer. It absolutely does. There's no like ring that we all wear. There's no crown you get. (laughs) They didn't tell you about the secret handshake, uh, Allie? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No, I missed out on that. Uh (laughs) Well, we'll have to put you through uh, the hazing ritual later, but that's a different topic. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about movie projects, and I'm I'm getting excited about that. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in that world. You know, it's really funny because it's like all these things happen and they change and I'm still wearing my ripped jeans in my house, you know, like it's things happen, but I'm not, you know, I'm signing off on things and I'm having phone meetings, but it's not a whirlwind and then it is a whirlwind and it's interesting. But right now, basically the basics of it is that Universal is the option that I'm going to be doing. And Gabrielle Allen and Jennifer Crimson are attached to write the screenplay, which I'm unbelievably excited about. Between them, they have a movie called What's Your Number? And they also have credits on some of my favorite television shows like Seinfeld and Arrested Development and Scrubs and The Simpsons. And I'm just completely in awe. And it's so touching and wonderful and humbling that they want to spend some time with characters that I created. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do. And it's pretty cool. It's very cool. That's exciting. So walk us through that process. I'm assuming your publishers or your editors uh, pitched the idea out there and Universal caught a hold of it. So how does that whole process happen as far as Universal getting interested in it and then having writers sort of assigned to it? Do you have a flow on how that usually works out? Um, I actually had some producers who were interested in it. So they're attached. Stacey Kramer and Heather Lieberman, who are just fantastic. And uh, they attached the writers to the project, and and they got it all going. So it's all them. Um, And then my amazing film agent, Dana Spector, who's at Paradigm, helped me through the whole process. So it's mostly a lot of phone calls and just making decisions about things and um, and having the guidance to make the right decisions. But, you know, it's been an interesting process, and it's really exciting. And it doesn't quite feel real, I think. You know, there's a lot of like hurry up and wait that happens. And so then at a certain point, it's like, wait, all of a sudden I can tell people about this, you know, and um, so it almost feels like a secret, but it's not. And and now I guess what will happen is that they'll line up everything that needs to happen to to make a film, hopefully. And hopefully it'll get greenlit and made. And But, you know, there's a long road before that happens. So. Yes, yes. And now in that process with the producers, now is this something where it was left up to you to find people interested in it or the producers contact you directly or did that go all through the publishing house? They went through my, they contacted my film agent and went through there. So they found the material for me. Sometimes it happens the other way around where you have a film agent who 
actually looked for producers to match it with, but these producers found my work and, and came to us, which was really great. <laughs> it was a nice prize. Yes, fantastic. Well, I'll be looking forward to that, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you on the silver screen, even if it's a background role at the uh, the high school reunion. That'd be good. Oh, no, I would prefer, <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer to just be in the audience. That would be fantastic. <laughs> you don't want to be in, like the lunch line or the buffet line at the uh, – at the high school reunion. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, well, that's... I'm quite happy in my ripped jeans and my my writing sweater. It works well for me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And uh, I'm sure this would never happen. But if you're in in the audience and it didn't quite go as expected, you can sneak out with your popcorn. And if they love it, you can stand up in the front of them and say, "Hey, this was all me." So it works out well. <laughs> I expect to love it. I think it'll be wonderful. It'll be great. It'll be great. I'll be look forward for my uh, premiere tickets to come in the mail. Make sure I address <laughs> that one. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, Allie, after reading the book, and of course, then we'll see the film and all that wonderful stuff, when people uh, pick up a copy of Why Can't I Be You, what would you say you would like them to walk away with after reading the book? I think, you know, I'd love it if somebody called one of their old friends and had a good chat afterwards. I think that would probably be the greatest outcome. I know I've certainly done that since writing the book and had a couple of good chats on uh, high chat with my friends while they were having a bonfire. <laughs> okay. It was awesome. You know, how to how to Skype beer with my buddies. I think that's kind of the, the theme of the book is, is how friends become family and how your friends growing up are such a huge part of who you become. And I think that's something that holds true for me. And I hope that other people take a sec to appreciate the people who help them grow up too. Yeah, they're all part of your fabric of your life. So I think that's a very good point. A great message to walk away with. So how can our listeners find out more about you and the book and all the wonderful things you've got going on? I am on Twitter constantly. <laughs> it's Allie Larkin on Twitter. And I'm also at AllieLarkinWrites.com. So go to uh, Allie Larkin. It's A-L-L-I-E-L-A-R-K-I-N. Tweet her often. Catch up what's going on. And, you know, do the bonfires with her. That'll be good. That'd be good. <laughs> and, of course, check out her website as well and uh, follow her. Get her newsletters, all the wonderful stuff that she does, all kinds of exciting stuff. So, Allie, we're so thrilled for you. I'm so thankful to have an opportunity to talk to you again. Uh, kudos and big success. And uh, keep us in mind uh, for those uh, premiere tickets. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show tonight. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Fun times, fun times. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our sponsors and our producer for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on my Animal Rights show, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com. It's PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Animal Rights icon and download the episodes you want to listen to. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful hosts and wonderful shows that we have on Pet Life Radio. If you have any questions for me, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. It's tim at petliferadio.com, and I will be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from the most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, share it in a blog, an article, or in a book, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.